<laughs> okay, I want everybody to stop right now. If you're listening to this and you're in your car, pull over, get a pen and a piece of paper, and I want you to take note of what he just said because we talked about this before we started recording. I thought it was the most brilliant thing. What you should be doing is is join everybody's Facebook page, follow them all. Everybody in your market or even outside your market, join their mailing list, like get on their mailing list, like start a, a, a Gmail account and just dump everything in there if you need to. But I'm telling you right now, I, I have done that where I'm scouring and trying to get an idea of what people are doing. That tactic, I've never, I just, I just never dawned on me. A genius, man. But that's brilliant. That Bro, is brilliant. Listen. If you're not doing that right now, like <laughs> write it down and go back to your office and start doing it immediately because that is the most genius thing I've ever yeah. heard. Hey, I'm Coach Jay. I'm the G-Man. We've built this podcast for the hardworking men and women of the automotive community. Some of you will listen and be entertained. Others will listen and apply. Our purpose is to provide both. Welcome to the Hard Shop Life. All right, here we are back again, the G-Man. What's up, G-Man? What's up, man? What's up, Coach Jay? Coach Jay. Hey, this is Coach Jay and the G-Man. So today's... on. Oh, hard shop life. That's right. The hard shop life. The hard shop Not life. Not just yeah. a hard shop life, but <laughs> the hard shop life. The hard, hard shop life. You know, G-Man, today is a little special uh, special episode. Uh, and actually, I'm going to cue Tyler. Tyler, cue the music. All right. Look, she should have some background music now. There we go. <laughs> I, know okay. where I know where you're going with this. I am going with this. So uh, <laughs> we have a very special guest here today. And the reason why our theme is going to be this way is that is that our special guest may or may not know that the G-Man, right? Do you want to tell everybody or do you want me to tell everybody? What is your background, G-Man? I mean, uh, where, where, uh, what's your... Um, well, I'm, I'm American. Yeah, you are American. <laughs> Duh. I, I was born in in, uh, in California. You're bo- Okay, well... <laughs> Your ancestors, where are they from? We're from Scotland. <laughs> so so how ironic that my mentor, who is our special guest here today, uh, the man who taught me the ropes, the man who pulled me from my dream job to be, uh, to, you know, because G-Man, I mean, you know this, bro. Like, I, oh, wanted, I, have, I have My so dream many. was to be a service advisor for BMW. I have so many questions for <laughs> David Pattis. I have so many <laughs> Like I'm just holding back because I want a window into young Jair. I want to oh. know a little more about this this Listen, kid. Dude, let me tell you something. If 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 you think you had it bad managing me, oh my god, this guy. So here we are. Our special guest, ladies and gentlemen, is my mentor, uh, the man who gave me the opportunity in this wonderful industry that I love so passionately and uh, I love being a part of, and that is Mr. David Patterson. Mr. David Patterson, thank you and welcome to Hard Shop Life. We're very blessed to have you here with us, and uh, thank you. Well, good morning, guys. It's great to see both of you. I've seen you on the... (laughs) On the telly? No, on the internet. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I, didn't, I had no idea this guy was a Scotsman. Yeah, so, I know. <laughs> so I, I got to teach this guy some lingo today. <laughs> and um, maybe he'll leave the, uh, the show with some new words to uh, to play with. So, there you uh, go. Hey, I'm into that. that. I'm I, into think, that. I think my number one goal is so you can get that kind of accent. That's I dope. Know, bro. I love he, the accent. That's, <laughs> that's going to take us to another level. It's exactly right. <laughs> I, yeah. mean, our, our, I mean, can you imagine our audiences be like, holy cow, the G-Man. <laughs> you got a Scotsman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, hey, listen, I, like I said, it's great to see you guys. And uh, yeah, you guys do a great job. I mean, I, uh, you know, technology today is pretty cool. And uh, anybody who wants to learn, all the guys do is listen to you. <laughs> tune, tune in tune in right so um yeah you know it's pretty cool that, hey. you, that you dispense this stuff and hey it's uh it's knowledge and knowledge is a key it's wisdom and, and it's free by that's the way right. oh hey we give it away we you're scottish you should know that's a great thing yes <laughs> that's a favorite four letter word starting with f <laughs> free free, free. That's what it, oh free, man free, well free. david it, again it's an honor to have you on here and thank you so much uh I'll tell you what, uh, G-Man, I have been begging this man to come on some kind of media, you know, interviewing session with us for over two years. I mean, every single time I talk to him, yeah, it's, hey, would you, do, well, you know, one day, oh, maybe one day, oh, and then this last time I'm like, we're coming to Atlanta. You're going to sit <laughs> down with us. We're on our way. It's you're, happening. You're, it's going to happen. Well, okay, okay. Send me the questions. 
<laughs> so so a le- little background story everybody uh as you may know i the first part of my my life in automotive started in the east coast it started in atlanta georgia where everybody in the east coast calls me jr and then i know most of our audience members know me as jair coach j but then when i went to the west coast i uh, you know i started at the bmw store there and all of a sudden uh vicky our manager says oh we already have a jr you need to go buy another name so we're gonna call you your real name jair so on the West Coast, Jair, East Coast, Jr. to the world of, of what we do now, I'm Coach J, right? And uh, here we are. So this is, a, this is a little bit going back in, t- in history with a little bit of me, but more importantly, talking about the fundamental things that I've learned in this business to be successful now. Mr. David Patterson, you ran, I mean, at the time, the most profitable Honda service center in the world. It was in the world. That's a big place. <laughs> in <laughs> and the, there's a lot of Hondas that are in the there world. There was a lot of Hondas. And 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 I'm telling you, I remember and I recall, uh, you know, blessfully, I was, I was a part of a team that really created something really magical. And I'll never forget, and I, I say this all the time, and I want to I come out the gates with one thing. One of the biggest secrets that you taught me, David, that I tell everybody is whatever, I'll never, I'll never forget you saying this. Get them in your database. Do whatever it takes to put their information in your database, and then you can connect with them forever. Well, that's so true. I mean, the thing is that that technique started back in the a long time ago before there was, uh, you know, the current technology was we used to plaster license plate frames on cars. Right. That was a requirement. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. That was a requirement because we had to uh, connect right. and to publicize. And we went from that to door jam stickers. Right. Um, you know, yeah. and, and that worked as well, too, because when somebody had a problem, guess who they called? They called Bingo. us. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, getting, getting the customers in the database gives us the power to communicate. And uh, if we can start that relationship from the first visit and continue from a second, third, and fourth, guess what? We just hit the gold mine. Right. So, um, yeah, that's important. Getting the customers in the, in the database, getting a, getting a long-term relationship started right. is the beginning of a lot of GP. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, in, the, no. in the, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about the differences between fixed and variable. And uh, one of those is that is it's, it's a long-term relationship. Like you're not going to slay them typically on the first visit and uh, you know, but you got to get them in the door. So sometimes you just, you get, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get them there. And it's, it's a low price oil change or it's something free or who knows, but you you can't start the relationship without first getting the car in the drive. You well, know? you know, you know, it's, it, that's, that's a great point because, Today, you know, we have the technology of the multi multi point inspections, and mm-hmm. giving them just a you know giving the customers a a report condition report on their vehicle, be it good or bad, um, and hopefully not trying to like you said, you know, slam them for all the stuff they need, but just spend some time with them and just let them know how valuable that information is, yeah, and how they can plan for the future. Sometimes, you know, in these these days, especially this, you know, after COVID, with maybe not having the financial resources to do everything. Mm-hmm. At least um, using the MPI gives them a chance to plan it and, yeah. uh, and plan and also create some trust and rapport for the future. Mm, for sure. So <clears throat> today I want to, I want to go a little bit back in time uh, with you, David. So Uh-oh. we can Uh-oh. get yeah, some, some, <laughs> some, some stuff about you. And, and the truth of the matter is, is, is you started in the car business a long time ago. Uh, I know that you, you spent some time in Southern Florida for a while. Uh, and, you know, my question to you is, what got you in the fixed operations and why did you stay? Great question. And, you know, um, it goes back further than South Florida. You know, I, as a child, I grew up, uh, you know, I spent a ton of time working on a farm from the age of 10 through 20. And, you know, working on a farm is a lot of equipment. And um, there's a lot of technology that has to be done. It was a dairy farm, so we had to milk cows twice a day, 5 a.m., 5 p.m. And there's a lot of work that goes into that, plus distributing the milk after you've collected it. <laughs> you know, that's a whole, whole, whole other program. So I grew up in a farm, and I just loved the machinery. I mean, I, you know, I learned to weld when I was 11 or 12, and I could drive a tractor when I was on the street when I was 13, 14, uh, I kind of get hooked on the mechanical side of things. I just loved it. You know, I just, you know, it was just fun. I mean, it was just exciting. And, um, you know, one of the things that I really 
maybe got me passionate about the car business was I made a I made a goal that as soon as I could leave school, which by the way, back in these days in Scotland, it was 15. On my 15th birthday, I was working in a car dealership. Oh, wow. 15. And that, well, that doesn't say very much for my academic education. <laughs> yeah. But my practical education on the farm was ongoing because I still worked on the farm all the way through from, you know, 15 through 20. I milked cows in the morning, had, had clothes for that job, and then jumped on the bus and then worked at the deal, went to the dealership and learned. It was, I served a five-year apprenticeship uh, in a very strange environment. It was a, a dealership that was a franchise for Aston Martin, BMW and a bunch of European stuff that you probably don't know, guys. It's uh, we had DAF, DEF, wow. don't know that one. No, Auto Union, Audi, NSU, uh, DKW. These are brands <laughs> that you might have never heard of, right? yeah, don't no. have a clue. But anyway, we also had a bunch of um, Highline, we were a, a Rolls Royce dealer as well. So I really got involved in 1965. Um, when BMW came to Scotland, and uh, I loved that car. It was back in the days, the 700 Nizettas were, meh, they were whatever they were, kind of funky looking things. But yeah. this 2002 came out, and my goodness, what a car that was. Yeah. And then we had the 2000, and then we had the, you know, the 2800 Coupes, and the three liter Coupes, and I mean, these cars and back in these days were just phenomenal. I mean, fun to drive. I mean, I right. couldn't wait to road test them. I was like a kid in, you know, a kid in the candy store, <laughs> yeah. loved these things. Got really passionate with BMW and had, a, had the opportunity. I was the first factory trained technician in Scotland. There was only three others in the UK at that time. And uh, one of the things, this is the traditional car business in Scotland, was if somebody's car broke down, they sent a mechanic to the house. And guess who that guy was? That was me. <laughs> and there was only one of me in Scotland at that time. There was more after, but I, I just kind of loved that. I was, you know, I was 16, 17 years old, and I was driving, you know, up to the, the highlands in Scotland, fixing somebody's car and their estate, and being treated like royalty. To be honest with you, they just loved it when the car guy showed up, and you know, I was putting, you know, putting in the miles and just learning so much how to communicate with people and. It was the university of life, the beginning of that university of life for me. So, I mean, BMW is great. I did a lot of work with Aston Martin. Um, I loved that too because, I mean, my thing was get that job done and go road test that car. <laughs> I mean, awesome. these things, we're talking James Bond stuff. Yeah. yeah. Aston oh, Martin, DB4 GTs, uh. DB5s. You know, these things were, you know, they're only back in the, I think they were like less than 300 horsepower, but they felt like a thousand horsepower from a guy, you know, back right. in these times. And it was so much fun. So I really, I mean, I got in, I got hooked in a car business. I just loved it. I loved driving nice cars. Um, I loved working on them because back in these days, unlike today, they didn't stay fixed for very long. Yeah, There was a thing called job security. <laughs> a service schedule every 2,500 miles. Right, yeah. If you can believe that. Uh, every 2,500 miles, they came in for something and something was broken at the same time. So... That you was, had to adjust valves and gap the points oh, and recap the spark plugs. Oh, and, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Good stuff too. I mean, it was fun stuff. But the um, you know, the 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 point the, the point was also I learned that's how I learned flat rate. You know, everything back in these days was flat rate. And mm. and geez, I you know, I, I learned that if you go in early and if you work, there's plenty of work. There's never a lack of work. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you can work as long as you want. Nobody says, you know, you have to go home. Right. So I would put in these twelve hour days flat rate and you know, I can remember my father saying this. My father was a, a stockbroker. Uh, he was a founding member of the Scottish Stock Exchange and a member of the English Stock Exchange. And he said, you know, you're making more than I am. And I was thinking about the 18 or 19 when he said that on flat rate. And he was doing pretty good. Yeah. And, he, you know, all of that was going well for him. And I mean, hey, you know, but when he realized the, the money I was making in the car business, he yeah. couldn't believe it. So anyway, so the start was in Scotland. And, you know, I was just happy as Harry. You know, doing what I told you I was doing, fixing cars, driving cars, just, I mean, nice stuff. Really nice stuff. So, got a phone call one day. Like, I got a phone call. My father was in, in the, um, in the. we had one phone back in these days in the in the dining room, hardwired, and we were, uh, got this phone rang, and my father answered it, and he said, there's a man from Jamaica that wants to speak to you with an accent. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, really? So I went to the phone and this gentleman said to me, Mr. Patterson, and I was very impressed with that. 
you know, introduction, Mr. Yeah. Patterson. You know, I was I was twenty. Uh, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going, well, I wonder where this is going. He said yeah. he introduced himself and he said that he was going to become the distributor for BMW in the Caribbean. And I thought, well, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Yes. Very nice. He said, well, um, I got your name from BMW uh, in, in London, and they wanted to know, um, they gave me your number and said that maybe I could, uh, maybe you'd want to come and work for us. Hmm. And I said, in Jamaica? He said, oh, yeah, in Jamaica. And I said, I said, can you hold on a second? I went back to the, uh, the, uh, the uh, living room where my father was. He said, Hey, Dad, there's a guy in the phone. He wants to hire me to go work in Jamaica. He said, take it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know what he really meant. Now, whether that was a quick way of, you know, me, you know him getting me off his payroll. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> or whether he was genuinely excited for the opportunity. I'm not sure to this day we didn't discuss it. But um, within three weeks of that phone call, I was on a plane uh, and I had arrived in Jamaica to be the BMW guy uh, in the island, and on the island, and not just the island, but for the, the islands in the Caribbean, because it was a distributorship. So getting there, there was nothing. There was nothing there at all. No building. Um, a few cars. You know, some of the enthusiasts of which this fellow was one. Mm -hmm. um, there was a few cars there, but we, there was nobody. No salesman. No parts department. There was a building that was under construction. Mm -hmm. So I got involved in, in constructing and um, and building the you know creating a business uh, from from start from nothing, uh, which was kind of exciting. I mean, you're 21. I was actually 21. It was February January of uh, 1972. Wow. Um, when I went there, um, so that was a that was a that was a big a big change of uh, of going from the snow to the sunshine. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I, was, sure. I was a pretty happy guy yeah. there for a while. Yeah. It was yeah. like, in the Caribbean, the, crystal clear water, white sand beaches, working on cars, pretty good pretty good gig. Every day was a holiday. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, I learned a lot from that statement. That's not a frivolous statement. You know, you know, I learned to kind of live my life that way, Yeah, not get too serious, um, although I was passionate. But um, I learned, you know, Jamaican-style lifestyle down there is very sort of, you know, the timelines are not quite as critical as they are mm -hmm. in other places. Mm -hmm. But I learned to be a little bit more casual. But I had a great learning experience of learning how to create business. And this fellow was a huge entrepreneur. Uh, he had many other businesses, not just this BMW deal. He was uh, highly involved in the, in the economy of the island. So I had a mentor there who was just, uh, I mean, phenomenal. I mean, just a, an amazing gentleman. Um, and became part of his family. I mean, he really kind of adopted me as a as, as part of his family, which was a privilege. Um, so that was a great, unusual start. So uh, you know, I was how there. How many years did you spend in the islands? I went there in seventy two, and we a uh, total of eight years. And I probably would never wow. never have left. Um, unfortunately, the island, the country, was going through some political changes, uh -huh. and one of the changes the government made was uh, the banned importation of cars. Hmm. And getting car parts, there was a they, had, they were having some economic um, issues. They didn't have foreign exchange to buy a lot of stuff, and um, getting car parts was a problem too. So the the distributorship kind of fell apart. I got involved in other things. My, my best customers owned a brewery. Uh, let me. This is a good story too. The, the, the brewery. I was kind of into the rum and the beer. Uh. <laughs> that was one of, yeah, that was two of my hobbies. Uh, Young, you're on an island. You're yeah. You're making money. You're drinking. You, your best friend's a brewer. Like, so I agree. I I don't know why you left, but I'm so red stripe beer. Okay, so there we go. There's a story there. So and they also brewed Heineken. Another good one. But anyway, so um. These became friends of mine, and when they, when they realized that the, um, the car business was falling apart, I got off at a job in a brewery, and I became a production manager for, um, for the Red Stripe Beer, the Nongetis, and um, learned a ton there. They were the largest, largest users of computers in the Caribbean, hmm. and I got an education on how to, not how to, I didn't know the technical side of how they worked, but I figured out really quickly that they can do, work, they can do the work of many people much more efficiently, uh, much quicker. And I uh, did a little course on that there when it through it was IBM and did, got, 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 to, got an introduction to computers. Long story short, fast forward, things changed, island economy changed. Had two kids, got married to my, uh, my wife, Veronica. Um, had two kids there. 
but it became a little bit difficult to live, to be honest with you. You know, the economy was, the, the country was going through some change. I didn't kind of, I wasn't too confident that that was where I wanted to be for the rest of my life. And I wanted more for my family. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I looked for a job. So anyway, long story short, we uh, moved to Texas and um, got got hired as a BMW service manager for a, this, which is now a very big store. It's now called Momentum. Oh yeah, Momentum, uh, yeah. yeah. It was the BMW Auto Center back in these days in uh, in Houston, and uh, it was a fairly small dealership, but it grew. I was very lucky. Um, I hired some really really good people, and you know we grew from one of the I had a small dealership to a large dealership very quickly. Um, so that that experience in Jamaica, it really gave you the skills to come to Texas and do that job because. You're really going, you really entered Jamaica as a mechanic, basically a technician. And then, but that with the entrepreneurs, getting the things set up and everything taught you about the business. You're basically a manager there. That's right. That's right. I was, I felt, you know, there's nothing. I, I just felt I, my, my confidence level was through the roof. Yeah. There was nothing I couldn't do. I felt I mean, there's nothing I couldn't do. And actually doing it in America with all the resources that were lacking in Jamaica, it, for me, it was a piece of cake. I mean, mm. it was really, it was all about, it was all about just, you know, the excitement of the building the business. And these weren't great times. That was 1980. It, these were not great times in Houston. The oil crisis was in, was in, was, was mm. a problem. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't hit, you know, the, the Texas economy wasn't fantastic. But as I, as I said, very fortunate, grew that business and made a lot of, um, uh, change in the, in the, in the way that, that store operated. Eventually I became a partner in the business. The fellow who owned it um, offered me a partnership and we had, we opened up an independent shop which went further than BMW. It had uh, oh, it was mo a lot of um, gray market cars back in these oh, days. Oh yeah, That yeah. was big. Mm -hmm. We had uh, Mercedes, uh, Ferrari, Lamborghinis, you know, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of um, gray market BMWs. I mean, yep. again, 745s, the 323s, mm. cars that were M6s, which weren't available in this country. Um, did well with that. Um, and <laughs> I tell the story. It grew it grew it very quickly, and it was large. Everybody was making a lot of money. I was paying everybody very well, mm -hmm. and I was the last guy to get paid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at some point, you know, the economy, you know, went to the, went to, got into a situation where, and I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And uh, so anyway, we 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 shut that shop down. It's, it's still in existence today. It's a very large Lexus collision center. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. In Houston. Um, so we, um, we as a family, um, we sold a house uh, in a bad Texas economy, packed the kids in a, in a U-Haul, uh, got a couple of trailers behind the U-Haul, and uh, my wife and I, we drove from there to Florida um, to start all over again. Wow. Jeez. Now, 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 before we move on to the next part of this story, I want to tell you the, how, how it works, how, how small the world is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So David's telling the score, the story of going to momentum. I get tr taught and trained by David, moved to San Francisco. I come work at the BMW store with you, right? You're the fixed operate. Well, you were the parts manager. You were an asshole. And then, but, but then you became to be a nice guy and you know, <laughs> I came to like you. And so yeah, he was a tough one. He was a tough parts manager. Ugh. Anyway, but then I had my team and who was my team lead was Alistair was my team lead. Am I missing it? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Can you hear me now? You gotta talk, yeah. Talking to the label. Sorry. Okay. You're the, you're the pro. Come I know. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I interrupted your flow. No, it's Keep okay. Going. So, so, so Alistair is my, my lead team lead. Yeah. Right. Alistair. Okay. Is Scottish. Where's Alistair today? He's the shop foreman at Momentum BMW. Small world, eh? <laughs> I know. Crazy. <laughs> there it goes. Isn't that cool? I talked to him the other day. I go, how are you doing, buddy? He's like, doing well. I said, good. He's like, I'm one of the shop foremen here. Good for you. So you were talking about gray market stuff, and I just remembered. So I worked for um, uh, a while ago. I worked for um, a guy named Hans Beck in uh, in Emeryville in Cal in California, and him and a guy Alan Hardy used the gray market BMW cars. They bring them into the West Coast. So in that area, the Oakland Berkeley kind of area right there was a big hotbed for all these. There was all these weird cars there, you know. Um, three, two, threes, seven, 45, seven, 45 turbos, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. crazy stuff. Um, 
And uh, um, so I got a chance to work on a lot of that stuff when I was there. And just hearing you talk about it, it was taking me back. And I was thinking about <laughs> all this great mark. You didn't have wiring diagrams, especially those 3.0s. <laughs> oh my God. Like they, it was, they were so frustrating to fix, but uh, it's, it's just funny the path that you were on now. I didn't work in Jamaica. Right. And for, I, it worked in freezing cold Berkeley, California for a while, but <laughs> freezing cold. <laughs> well, we worked whatever. on a lot of the same cars. It's interesting. <laughs> so I, I know I want to ask you this too. Um, so as your, your career, so the one thing I always felt about being a technician gave me an advantage when I became a manager and, and, and eventually an entrepreneur is that like being a technician, you have to problem solve. Like you're constantly, you know, thinking through, you know, the steps of the problem to fix a car. And, uh, and I felt like that gave me a skill set that not a lot of people had. Like I can work my way through it and, and it gave me an advantage. Do you feel the same for you? Like when you came out and came to Texas and became a manager, do you feel like, like looking back on it, do you think that gave you an edge also? Well, I did. And, you know, there's a couple of things, you know, that, that gave me the edge I thought was, one is I could relate to technicians. Um, I understood what their struggles were. Yeah. And I could have the compassion to understand the deadlines, the pressure on the deadlines. But I was the same way with the service advisor because I was that service advisor in Jamaica. There was none. It was me. So right. I had to do both. I was both, a, you know, I was teaching these guys to fix cars and fixing them myself in Jamaica. And I was also, um, you know, writing the tickets. Yeah. So um, being able to relate to, and also that I was a parts guy too, because, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. and there was, there was no computers back in these days. <laughs> it was what box it is it in? <laughs> it, 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 no, we, we had a card, it's called Cardex. Yep. <laughs> Cardex system, that. and I tell you, it worked pretty. It worked pretty well, but it was very uh, a lot of labor intensive. Yeah. But anyway, I just I think the advantage was uh, Gary was that I could relate to people um, on the job duties that they were performing, mm -hmm. and that gave me a leg up on somebody who was maybe coming into the business as you know a non-experienced technician or whatever. So yeah, I guess that answers your question. But the, um, I think that was really the beginning of you know was really realizing that. You know, the car business is fixing cars, but to make it successful, you have to relate to people. Yeah. You know, it's all about the people. Yep. 100%. It took me a while to learn that, but um, I got that fairly quickly and I realized that the more people that I could make successful, guess who gets paid more? Oh, yeah. That'd be me. So um, my mission at that point was to, you know, collect individuals into the team, uh, find out for the good talent was, and um, give them what they needed to become successful. Mm-hmm. So I get you know so long answer answer to your question, but um, really and truly that was that was the that was I thought I had an advantage over the, my peers in the other dealerships that were in the surrounding areas, and um, I still feel that today that that um, was a, a key card all the way through my career. Yeah, I think that too. I I, I use that now, especially when I'm working with stores. You know, it, 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 and I'm you know, and this is an old you know euphemism, whatever you want to call it, but you know, you have to walk a mile in a man's shoes to really know what he goes through and having been a technician and working, understanding their struggles and being able to relate to them. And, you know, there's, there's people that you, you know, you try to understand, but when you've lived that life and you've lived flat rate and you busted your knuckles and you got water draining down your back and you're trying to make a living, you know, it's a different deal and, and not everybody gets it. And, uh, I think understanding that it, that is a huge advantage. I mean, that, that definitely it's helping me now, as I try to help recruit for, you know, our clients. Um, and I think it really helped when I was a manager because I could relate to those guys. And I think, I think, I don't know what you felt about that when I was there, you know, running the store, but I did feel like I had a special kinship with the guys in the shop. Yeah. Are we talking as a parts manager or? Well, as a, I, I, a fixed ops director. You want to just cut my parts manager <laughs> career out? The fire, like that. So you do two things. So here's this guy does two things to me. One is he'll tell me, oh, your parts manager thing doesn't matter. Cut like, or that's all I am is the parts guy. And I, that's why I tell him, oh, I got a 35 year career. I spent five years in the parts department. I'm the parts guy. Like, uh, either that or he's just like, oh, yeah, that didn't matter. But I'm like, no, it pick your lane. Well, let me just jump in there. I've been the parts guy too. When unfortunately, you know, down the roads once in a while, the parts guy maybe moved on. Yeah. And I had to become that guy. That's a tough gig. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, it's a it's a gig that most uh, most people don't understand the pressure that's involved in that. And I was very lucky. I was hooked up with some really good parts guys along the way, and I have the utmost respect for them because I can't fix the least go up without the parts. Yeah. And um, bringing you know bringing that connection is very important 
to a team to make sure that the parts guy and the service guy, they're both one. Yep. Uh, both one. And I say when you get that synergy, when people are really together, working together for common for a common goal, and they understand, you know, what the difficulties are and the and the um they, they do walk in the other person's shoes. Mm-hmm. That's when you get the beginning of success. And uh, and I say, like, I, I've always been lucky. They, you know, I only have had one over the years. <laughs> and I one that I was not too fond of, but um, he didn't last very long. But uh, it, it's it's critically important to have a, that, that relationship oh, in, yeah. in management, without a doubt. Same thing with GM. You know, you have to yep. you have to be you have to be in sync with the GM um, to make it work. But be a parts and service. They, that that there is, I think that's one of the benefits, and I think it's a little bit of a lost position now in the U.S. where a lot of FODs or fixed operate directors or serve parts and service directors are starting to go away. That position is kind of evaporating. And I think it's it's sad because you need somebody to, to connect those two things That's together. Right. Yeah. And when you have that and you can make decisions that are mutually beneficial and people, you know, because otherwise they get lost in their silo, you know, and the GM is, you know, and no offense to any GM that's listening right now, but typically they're just not as involved and fixed. You know, they got their hands full trying to get customers in front, sell cars, and mm-hmm. it makes it, it makes it difficult. And I think having that, that getting that union together is really what brings it. I mean, because you got to, to your point, you got to have the parts to put on the car, but you got to have the techs and you got to have that relationship to make that go smooth and fast and accurate. And, and that, and that, um, parts gig, it, people don't understand. I, I remember, so I was a service guy, I went to parts and I remember just going, Ooh, what have I done? I was like, <laughs> you know, I just figured, I don't know. I can fix stuff. I can fix that. I'll figure it out. You know, that's kind of always my mantra. I'll figure it out. And, uh, yeah, it took me a bit to yeah. figure out, you know, in in that it's like a steamroller because the parts just keep coming, and you're not really sure what you're getting, and especially we had a two million dollar inventory, so it was a lot coming in and out, and uh, you feel a little bit out of control, you know, because it's just there's a machine that's just pushing it through, and so right. it can be scary. It's a lot of pressure, and, and it's cash, you know, yep. for the dealer, it's cash. It's money, it's money, it's money. But they, you know, again, they they been able to get that level of trust and respect with each other. It takes work. It doesn't just happen. Boom. Yeah. Um, personalities, you know, anybody who's got to the top has got there because they're they usually are pretty dominant with their personality. <laughs> yeah. I know you know all about the personality traits. You do all that all the time. So when you're working with these high performance and uh, high performance successful people, another skill level has to come into place, and that is, it's not just understanding. It's a case of being very forgiving and not let anything anything get in the way of the value of that relationship Mm -hmm. so um i had a couple of times back in my career when i was maybe not quite you know in sync with my serve my parts manager or if i was a parts service manager and i learned real quickly that tomorrow i mean if that guy's going to hold a grudge against something i've done that's not going to help me one bit Mm -hmm. so you know when there's there's going to be struggles there's going to be issues when Maybe the parts guy wants to make all the profit on that part and, and get it, you know, on a, on a slow train. <laughs> yes, he does because he wants to make a lot of gross. And the service manager's got a customer in a car and a lift, and uh, uh, we got to blend these two together. And uh, like I said, I mean, I think you've got um, a good point that uh, when you um, when you get it, it's really valuable. Yeah, it works great when yeah. you, when it works. It works yeah. great. Yeah. So uh, before we move forward to the I. I have to ask this question because I don't want to, I don't want to get lost in it, but <laughs> I have to. So one of the things, so I spent a lot of time with him and, and I hear your name a lot. I mean, he, you know, and, and rightfully so, I think your, your reputation precedes you. Um, but then we had, we worked with Mike for a little while and uh, he also worked with him, right? Yeah. Mike yep. Reason. Mike yeah. Reason. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah so yeah, I got yeah, to meet yeah, Mike yeah, and spend yeah, some time with Mike and they both say some of the things. The one thing that they say about David Patterson is they say like he always knew everything oh my he knew everything that was going on at all, all times, the time and they had no idea how <laughs> but you always if there was a car in the wrong place somebody not doing what they're supposed to do <laughs> like a dot a i not dotted or a t not crossed dave patterson knew what was going on and he would ask the question knowing the answer <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep yep well hey, it was not you know that's a that's something i learned learned from another old guy and he says the bit the best management strategy that you'll ever employ is MBWA management by walking around, mm. and if you sit in an office all day, you won't know. You will have no idea how much money you're losing. So 
get up, you know, get off, get off your chair, you know, walk around the store. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole store, walk into parts, walk into the sales department, walk into the shop, talk to people, find out what's going on and form your own opinion. And you said that, you know, ask a question, you know the answer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, that's that's a great way to know if somebody's really in tune with what the mission is. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about the mission in a minute. The, okay. the, the mission is really important because the mission has to be a mission that everybody's involved in. Not just my mission, but everybody's mission. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, no, that management by walking around was was something that uh, I've used a lot. And I've, back in the day, this is, I can remember doing this. The, when Franklin Planners came out, this is before we would have the Outlook and things we can do over there. Oh, yeah. Computers. No, I had, I had I one of I used to write that on my, my Franklin planner, you know, at 9.30, 10.30, 11.30, 12.30. And I would, I would use that planner as my, my, my playbook. Yeah. And I would get up off my chair and I'd walk around the store. And I would, and, and I'd, I'd try to make a point. You don't know this, Jr. but... <laughs> Jerry was on a roll, man. He was, he was, he, and we'll talk about the high performers maybe in a bit. Um, I didn't want to get in his way a lot, um, but only if there was a way I could sort of maybe direct him, mm-hmm. you know, to be even more efficient and better. But I mean, I'm trying to make a point of at least talking to everybody, it, it, try to at least twice a week, mm. minimum. And that was, and I'm talking, these are big dealerships that I've worked in, they're, they're large stores where there's maybe, you know, hundreds of people. Yeah. Um, but, but having that personal contact, I think, has a value. And I wanted to know what they knew. Yeah. And you know, when they when they when they know, you know, they don't know what they don't know. So I got I got to dig into that and find out how I can help them mm-hmm. know more. So that was why I did that. Was was why I'd walk around, ask questions, bike reason. <laughs> hey, Mike, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> I was hard on you, and I know that. And uh, he he may have told you that, Gary. Oh yeah, for I was sure. hard on him because he was so good. Uh, uh, with the customers he was so good hard on, on gr2 <laughs> yeah. so good with the customers but at the end of the day um you know if you can grow somebody and make them better guess what uh you know i've had some a lot of phone calls over the years and they came the the, the words were this you were tough on me and i didn't like you back in these days yeah. but i really appreciate what you've done for my life and my family mm-hmm. that to me is worth more than saying hey boss let's go out and play golf today yeah. and have a beer. I mean, I, I wasn't really too much into that. I wasn't a big back slapper, but I was a very, very passionate person about that individual success. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were. He, 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 I mean, he was stern. But I think one thing, and I got to say this, David, and, and that's universally the, the message from everybody who's worked underneath you, has, who's been mentored by you and, and led by you, is you were very fair. Everything you did was very, very fair. And, and, and it changed all of us. It, sometimes we didn't like the answer, but when you took a step back and you, you took a minute and said, okay, let's see how he looks at this mm-hmm. and how could this decision he would give me to make me feel happy affect the team? And it was never about the individual. It was about the team. How can this work better for the team? Mm. And it's true. And going back to what he said, you know, he'd ask me a question. I'll, I, I mean, you just took me back in time where he'd walk up to me and go, uh, let's look at uh, tag number 2346. And I would immediately know going, oh boy, we're about to find out something. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> Tell me about that. Right. And it was either the, <coughs> why is the RO still open? Mm-hmm. Where is the car? Where are the parts? How long have the parts been here? Does the customer know the parts are here? Does, it was just like, you never knew where you were going to go, but it always started with, hey, let's look at this tag. What's tag number this? <laughs> he'd come with his little open RO list because, you know, everybody. He'd yeah. come over and, hey, let's look at this. What's this one? And I'd be like, oh, boy, this is going to be tough. Oh, David, I'm waiting on a check from the insurance. Oh, really, a check? So we let the car go. Yes. Okay. Well, when are we going to get the check? Maybe we shouldn't do that. And I'm like, you're right. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Dude. And it was like the one thing, Gary, the one thing you would think I can hide this with the plethora of hundreds of other things. Mm. He'll never find us. And he'd be like, how about this? (laughs) Well, it's it's called about, you know, being in tune with what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's a business and I, you know, business is money. And, you know, I think that, you know, as managers or leaders in the department, you have to know what's happening with the money. And as you said, in the parts department, you're spending millions of dollars of somebody's money. Mm-hmm. Um, our working process is in a large store, small stores too, is a lot of money. Cash flow is important. And I learned back in the days of the farm is you got to turn the cash yep. 
turn the cash. I mean, you got to, if you buy something, you got to sell it and you got to get the, the money um, very quickly. And that was something, again, that was a, that was a, um, a basic, uh, financial trade that didn't have a whole lot of science to it, but it made a lot of sense to me. Um, cause I get paid off the job when it's paid. Yeah. So when we collect know, the money. It's the money. Mm-hmm. It's the money. And, and also the open arrow thing is I, you know, I, I learned this from another guy down the road a long time ago was that, you know, the end of month is every day. Um, there's no end of month in my life. It never has been, you know, it's every day is end of month. Mm-hmm. And if that, if I can, if that, if the service advisors realize that the amount of pressure that they had at the end of the month would be reduced significantly. Mm. They wouldn't have to be scrambling to get all these, make these phone calls and get these cars delivered. They wouldn't have that pressure on them. Difficult to understand when you're in the game working it, but it made a lot of sense to me. And I said, that was one of the things I've used to push you on here. Yeah, was, let's yeah. get these tickets closed. What do we have to do? I never said get them closed. I always say, what do we have to do? Um, where are we stuck? Right. And, you know, because two heads are better than one. Sure. And sometimes it, the, uh, the individual who could be a lane manager, service manager, if they're not emotionally involved with the client yeah, and they're, they don't know the history, they can ask that question and it makes good sense. Mm-hmm. What do we have to do to make it close? Yep. Uh, but anyway, that You was, can be a little more objective yeah. about it, right? But I, I guess being fair, GR is important too because, you know, you know, when working with, you know, high achievers, um, people who are the, I used to call them runners, the people who could run with the job, need very little supervision. The runners had to be treated uh, in a way that um, that they would appreciate their value um, and others would understand that they're not getting special treatment. Yeah. Now, this is a whole segment on that. I can give you, a, I'll give you the, sh- the short version of, of that segment is this. Well, is I can that, tell you what Mike thinks of that. <laughs> Every single thing that you do to one person is viewed differently by the team. Yeah. They don't know the preamble or the story or what the conversation was, but they just know the final result. Yeah. So when somebody is um when somebody is uh is asking for special consideration, it needs to be one if it's good for one, it's it's good for them all. Mm-hmm. Um now, you know, we're all born with equal opportunity. I truly believe that. God gives us uh, you know, the different talents. With that opportunity, though, everybody should have, I think, and I believe this, should have a fair, fair shot at the game. Yeah. Um, now, you give an, you give ten ROs to ten different people, you're going to ten different results. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, with established standards in place, with them clearly knowing them, meaning the team, knowing knowing that what our standards are, um, gives them a focal point of where to tune into. It could be t- hours per ticket, dollars per ticket, whatever the measurement is, CSI, blah, 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 blah. But there have to there has to be a standard in place that everybody can aspire to. Yeah. Um, and never and never reduce the standard. If it's achievable by the runner, by the high performer, guess what? It's achievable by anybody. And I think, you know, I've learned I've seen that in so many dealerships over the years or and from so many service managers were were that, you know, well he, that guy just he can't do that. And so the, then the the standard gets dummied down. Yeah. And I hate that. Let's reduce the standard no. to the level of talent we have instead no. of holding people accountable to what's possible. Like it doesn't make. Totally. We see that all the time. It I makes know. no and, sense and, But to here's me. the deal is that the, the, the trick to make that work is to communicate with, with in, the individuals who are maybe, I, I use brackets, you know, the A bracket, the B bracket and the C bracket. Yeah. Um, and the, the, in that they, they get defined by, you know, sales volume, ROs, um, CSI, four or five critical measurements, whatever mm-hmm. they might be, and they can change from time to time. And having a review um, with each individual every three months, mm-hmm. sometimes every two months, I call it the ABC ranking report. And, you know, you can get to the Super Bowl with a ton of A's. You can get to the Super Bowl with A's and B's. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go to the Super Bowl with a bunch of C's. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Now... <coughs> The big mistake I used to make was try and make C's, B's when they can't be. Mm. Oh, the pressure that puts on the C is unreal. It's just not, and it's not right for them either because they're in a position where they don't have maybe the skill set um, to be in that position. Right. I used to, as a rookie guy, used to get frustrated with that and, you know, work with them and work with them and work with them, but no result. Um, in later years, when I got to the no result point and gave them all the opportunity and all the training to become successful, my, my, then I, my tact was, well, what position could they be successful in? 
Would it be parts? Would it be in the collision center? Would it be in something else? Would it be the BDC? What's their talent thing? And then that individual <coughs> would discover that they were not, they were, it was too stressful to try and meet the level of the dealership standard. And it's their decision then to do something different. Yeah. Um, but it took me time to learn that. Um, I, you know, I say I used to work through, why can't you do it? And you yeah. know, GR, yeah. you would say, well, you know, why don't, why can't they do it? I can do it. <laughs> well, you know, we all have the opportunity, but we don't all have the same yeah. skill sets. So yeah. it's so funny because that, that resonates. And some people have belief, more belief in themselves too, because I think, you know, I do, I do think we're all, we're all relatively equal. And I think people are, are capable of a lot more than they think they are, but that's the key is they have to, to believe it. It's on them. Yeah. And the minute I want it more than they want it, then it's over right. because the, you, you, like you said, it's like, you're just, it, the gears grind. They, they can't, it's not smooth. Even if you can get them up a little bit, they can hold it for a little while, but not long. So Gary, so here's what I've learned. And I didn't learn it early in my career. I learned it midway through my career. There's some magic words that can help these C players. And, it, and I've seen C players become B's and A's. Not all, but some, many. And the magic words that I used, and I learned it again from somebody else, was when they're struggling, what they really want to hear is that they need to see they need to they need to know that you've got their back. So what I would say is, listen, I understand this is a struggle, but listen, we're in this together. My mission is to make you as successful as you can be. Mm. Now, together, we're going to work on this. I'm going to have your back in everything that you do. Are we in this together? And ask them, ask that question eyeball to eyeball. Sometimes they would say, listen, this is too much for me. I just, it's just too much. You know, the hours, the, um, you know, the, you know, the, this, that, and the next thing, this, it's just too much for me. And I say, great. Then what else would you like to do? Same, like I said, it's their idea. But the number of people, when they know that you're going to work with them and you've got their back and together we're going to make, we're going to create some success, the light bulb will come on mm -hmm. because nobody has ever said that to them before. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever said, listen, I'm in it with you. I want to help you. <coughs> yeah, typically it's Magic like, words. there's the computer, go to work. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then it's like, hey, well, watch what he, whoops, watch what he's doing and just do what he does. And I then know. You, walk, you go back in the office. Like, <laughs> <laughs> back to the computer. See you. Right. But that, but that getting to know the, getting to know the individuals and know what's, what the struggles are. And if it can be improved upon, it's a wonderful, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You get to see these people develop. Oh man, that there's, I, to me, there's no greater joy than that. Like you bring somebody in, they have raw talent and you want the success for them. And then they, they, like you said, the light bulb goes on, the switch gets flipped and then they take off and you're just like, it feels good. Like you, I want it. I always felt like that as a leader. I want to build good people. You, you know, know one so, of the it's so hard when you cycle through people. Well, that, that was his magic. I mean, that was David's magic. And, and I can tell you firsthand, like that's, you know, the, it's funny, G-Man, because think about it. Right now, we tell our clients, and, and it's one of the, the things that they have to do, you know. So, you know, David, like we, we tell our managers that for, as we coach them, these are the things that you should be doing on a regular basis. And one of the things is sit down at the beginning of the month, do goal setting with your, your advisors, review what, what their successes were the previous month. Let's look at the things. What were things that were struggles? What were things, that, obstacles you had to overcome? And let's set a game plan to, to succeed. And one of the things that blew my mind, David, and, and, and I give you all the credit. I do. I'm going to give you all the credit. You knew what it took for me to get there. You would sit me down for the year, G-Man, for the year. He'd be like, what do you want to do this year? What? And he goes, what do you want to buy? What do you want to, you know, what, what goals do you have? How can I help you? And then it was funny, David, because this is what you do. We would set the thing Whatever it is, I want to buy a house. I want to buy the car. I want to beat Donna Jordan. Hi, Donna Jordan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just hear that name. I get this is another person I got to beat. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be like, I got to, I got to beat that, right? And so it's like, it's like I want to be the best. Yeah. Okay, well, here are the numbers. This is what you're gonna have to do. So we'd pull, we'd pull the report. He'd run a report. He goes, let's, let's do the numbers. If you do this, this is what's gonna get you if you add a half an hour to an RO. This is what happens if you do this extra thing. And all of a sudden, it was off to the races. He made it so seem so simple, like what we do, G man. Yeah. It's like just a half hour. See, that's the thing. all it's, you it's do is all, a half it's hour. It's all in the math. <laughs> it is math. That's what I keep saying. It's it all in math. the math. So here's the deal, though. They're working with. I just mentioned it. You know, working about the C with, with the C players, working with the A player, that high performer. 
is a special manager skill set because oftentimes, and I've seen it, and you know, and I'm, I'm not talking about UGR, but I'm talking about in other dealerships that I've been in, where that A performer is a more dominant personality than the service manager. Yep. Happens a lot. Oh, oh, we have, we a have a lot. lot. We have a couple of those. Happens yeah. a lot. And then, so what's the trick there? The trick there is to recognize the value of that A player. Now, what I found that worked for me was I would sit down and ask the questions. Um, if this was, if your name was on the building, what would you do different? Mm-hmm. And don't answer me now. Just get a piece of paper and go home tonight and think about it and write me a list of all the things that you would do differently if this was your store. Mm. Everything, everything. So, and I and I did this a lot in the last four or five years as I was working through with it through my last uh, job. I would get some of the best ideas I never thought of um, from some of these people who were in the trenches. So I'll get this list of stuff and we sit down and say, well, that's a great idea, but not right now. And I'll explain why. Um, so we go down the list and we work on the list and say, listen, let's just pick three items off that 26 item list that you've put there. Let's just pick off two or three and let's go to work on them together. And let's see if we can make this work. Hmm. So getting, getting that A player involved in the bigger picture, um, I wanted to find out what's the future for that A player. Yeah, I don't know if they've got the, um, they've, everybody can have an idea, but mm-hmm. do they have the solution? Yeah. So I was looking for ideas and solutions collectively. So I, and, the, and, the, and the other thing I did, um, GR was in the last couple of years, the last five, six years, was I do the same thing with technicians. Uh, I would I want I want to know what's in your mind. Give me a list of all the things that you th- that we need to do, and write it down on paper. I would put them on a spreadsheet, and if I would find you know the six technicians told me six the same thing, and uh, that's probably number one. I need to go work on that. Yeah. So I would have my sh- my shop meetings were that I used to the you know I would hold the shop meeting, and what I would do is I would tell them what we fixed, mm-hmm. and give that individual the credit for the idea. Mm. It's not shop meeting. It's not a time to give me problems. Script them on a piece of paper. Tell me what we need to do. Yeah, and I'll rank them. And you can look at it on my computer. You can see what I've written out here. And I'm going to go to work for you, for us, and I'm going to fix these issues. Um, I tell you where this tool comes in really handy is when the GM comes flying back and says, "What are y'all doing? <laughs> What's happening this month?" I said, We're "Well, doing I'm, working this? On, I'm working on the 63 <laughs> items right now." <laughs> <laughs> we're on number two <laughs> take, 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 a, take a look at this list and tell me what you think is most important and I'll tell you I have some great examples um, in the last five or six years of where the GMs became really involved in fixed ops because they knew more about what we were working on Yeah, um, they had no idea they walked back to the service manager and said how are you doing I'm doing great no you're not you got 63 items you're working on right yeah um, but we don't want to tell them that we're not doing good yeah um so but I, and i i got again some of the um some of the um gms um and 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 i'm so proud of them because they became really fixed ops directors they became closer to their team in fixed ops they had no idea what was going on in the service and parts but once they knew the, the the issues, and once they know who had the ideas and we fixed them, they had communication points, key points to discuss with their team, their yeah. bigger team. And they go back to the shop and say, "Hey, Jimmy, that was a great idea. We fixed the toilet seat in the bathroom." <laughs> 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 whatever, you know, whatever that itch point was yeah. for that person, we took care of it. And I'll tell you, that's magic. Like that's... If you if you can listen, apply the listening to solutions, you just move on. Yeah. When I went to parts, I did that. I because uh, I knew I knew the service department hated the parts department, especially the techs. <laughs> I knew it. Well, I, I mean, I was there. I was on the other side of the counter, and I was thinking, okay, what, really, what I want is I want those techs to move faster so I can sell more parts. That's what I was thinking. How do I get that done? I need to build a relationship with them, and so I took them all upstairs, and and for for months, I I had them every time we'd go up there, they give me a list, and I'd put it on an iPad, and we would just go through and start mm-hmm. working on them. And, uh, and it worked great, number one, to get together with them, but we found stupid things. And, and uh, one of them was uh, um, to, we, to deliver like a transmission or a set of tires, or something like that. We had to go all the way around into the parking lot and then the pallet jack would get stuck in the asphalt and they couldn't get it around. It would take forever to get the part to the shop. Right. Well, there was, a, there was a delivery door that went straight out into the shop, but it was blocked. Because the tool room was also in there, right? It was a hallway, and so we so was the solution was like, okay, if we clean the tool room, I can get you the part faster. 
So let's clean the tool. So we clean the tool room and all of a sudden overnight it changed. And it's just funny how little things like that. And it's like, people don't, it, we're so, we're so much in the whirlwind. Like it's just, we're, we're constantly managing the day to day. We don't stop and look and go, man, if I just move that box out of the way, I could zip out to the shop. I can get things out there faster. And uh, it's just simple, but that comes from, I think to your point, listening, like team building. stop, team building. listen. Yeah. Pay attention to what people getting are telling everybody, you. Getting everybody's input and putting a value on it <laughs> is critical. I mean, it's huge. The other thing and is we're talking about action. That's the other the, the thing. Action take is get action. And give the credit to the yeah. person who's got the idea. It's, it's huge. The other thing, which you know, you know, the the high performers are usually the main influencers in the shop or the service drive or in the parts department. Yeah. Somebody's got you know, and that's why you know I kind of gave up the shop meeting things because the high influencers would take up all the time, and um, made no sense. So what I had to do is find out what how the influencers were thinking. And that got me through that barrier quite quite easily because once I could relate to them and find out what it was they're working on, it took away all their venom. If yeah. they were if they were if they were somebody who was critical of something, let's talk about it. Let's find out what the solution is. And you know what? Before you know, all that stale air that they had built up inside, they got dissipated. And some of the most the most successful stores that I've worked with and worked in, you were on that team, Gr. These guys and these teams, were, they had the ability to, to create change. And change is tough. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really tough. It's, change comes from three directions, management, manufacturer, and within. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's three different stories there, big ones. But um, working, with, working with ideas from the team helps to create that understanding of the big picture. Yeah. I don't want to go to a shop meeting and hear that, that Sammy sold you know, 90 hours last week. I'm not Sammy. I want to know how my world's getting better. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because that's one, that's one of the questions that I had for you is, you know, I wanted you to share a story of a time where you were challenged by a difficult employee, especially an employee that maybe was possibly an influencer and didn't want to change, didn't want to see the evolution of what would be better for all of us. Um, how did you, you know, what did you do with that? And how did you learn to adjust yourself or, or, or convince them per se, uh, to see the bigger picture with, because look, I'll tell you right now, David, and I'm going to, I'm going to confess this. <laughs> okay. I am. Whatever he's about to confess. He thinks I don't know. But no, I no, no. You Listen, I've worked for both of you. And so the truth of the matter is, is, is I was, I'm, I could be a pain in the butt because I get stuck no. in my, in my, as a high performance, <laughs> I go, look, this is the way I do this. And what do we want? And to me, it's like, do you want the result or do you want the whole simple processes? Like, which one was it? And so when you would change something of me, right, I was hard for it to break through my skull because I thought, look, I'm winning this way. Why are you wanting to change either my environment, my process? Why would you do that when I'm winning? Well, yeah, it's a great point. You don't want to change that. You have, what you want to do is you want to keep that momentum momentum going that that individual's got. Some, some people are just self-taught naturals. They just are. They're good salespeople. They're good technicians. They they require little or no guidance. Mm -hmm. However, if they're if they're influencing the the culture of the shop or the culture of the service driver or the deal or the dealership, I found for me the best way was to create a, a friendship. Yeah. Okay. So you can go to war with that person and tell them that you know what's not right, and what's not good, or you can go and just say, "Listen, let's sit down. Let's sit. Let's go for lunch today. Let's just let's go. Let's just talk about business." And again, I just open them up by the same discussion I mentioned earlier is finding out how would they do it. Yeah. They, and that's a learning experience for them. They don't know all of what they don't know. Right. So they got to understand that the reason why we can't do that is this. Now, the worst thing you, that I learned, I learned this also in, in short meetings, is you can't tell somebody that's a bad idea. Because if you do that, guess what? I guess how many more ideas you're going to get from Zero. that person. Zero. <laughs> yeah, right. Anybody, they're all, I don't want to be the guy with the dumb right. idea. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, not all the time, the influencers have great suggestions and they have some really bad ones. Yeah. Because it's usually how, you know. But they think they're all them. Oh, of course. <laughs> so so building that relationship with, with them one-on-one. On one, like, yeah, I was going to say present company It's going to go one of two ways. <laughs> it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to get really good. And yeah. I've had many of them work out where they've realized that, hey, this guy's, he's got some good, you know, this is, this is going to work. And they make the adjustments inter internally. And I remember change, you know, change only works one way. It has to start from the inside and work its way out. It doesn't work from the outside by 
by a, by an order. Mm-hmm. It has to be their idea. Mm-hmm. So going to lunch, talking about stuff and educating them and what the challenges might be with us, maybe a silly idea. Maybe there's just, we can't afford it. Maybe it just doesn't fit our process. And then getting getting them more involved in in the big picture, they appreciated that because it was they felt they were they, they are more valuable from a financial standpoint. Oh yeah, but they're also more valuable because of they've no they've no sort of uh, they're 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 reducing and pushing uh, drawing back from their aggressive behavior. Mm-hmm. So creating a relationship is it doesn't always work. It works it works one or two ways. Sometimes. It's it's just it's not going to work. It's yeah. contra culture, and it's it's damaging. And I you know I it's, it's and sometimes it can be a cancer, but that's rare. That's yeah. rare. If you hire good, you'll be good. Um, so usually it's uh, if you inherit something that might be a problem, but if yeah. you if you hire good, you'll be good. I think I yeah I can probably count not even on one hand how many times I've seen that. Typically, high performers just need a little bit of love, a but, lot of love. But uh, but yeah, it's rare that I've seen one that that can't. Um, like assimilate, you know, that yeah. they're, 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 that they're struck, you know, they don't, they're, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time coming up with the words for this thing. I'll give you some Scottish words. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where are we going here? <laughs> their destructive behavior. Because, I mean, I think if they're in a situation where they don't feel respected, they don't feel, right. uh, you know, honored, they feel like maybe, you know, we're trying to hold them back or change the standards for, hey, don't run so fast. You're making everybody else look bad. In those environments, they, they have this destructive behavior because they feel you know, uh, pent up, right? They feel caged. And I think if you, if you let them run and, and you create a relationship with them and you show them respect and I think typically they'll assimilate. And I, I mean, honestly, I can maybe think of one or two people in my head and I've been doing this 35 years that I would think really just couldn't turn the corner, you know? Yeah. And one of them was a guy I used to compete with at, at Nick Alexander. I don't want to name him, but, um, yeah, he, I know he, you're talking about. Yeah. That. Yeah. And so that, that guy was like, <laughs> Because I think Carl, you know, Carl was a good man. I'll name Carl. Carl was a great manager, great leader, but that advisor, I just, I don't know that anybody could work with that guy. Honestly, he was tough. Like that, but yeah. that, but just in, you know, think think through everybody that we know. That's probably one of the very few that I would think. Right, and yeah. you know, it's it's just, I think one of the things that we struggle with as high performance performers, and, and again, another confession, is our ego. You know, of we, course, we, we yeah. have a huge I mean, ego, and we believe we start thinking like I can set the rules now because of my level of performance. And then, you know, you get one of either one of you two to kind of sort of bring us back down to reality and say, okay, hold on one second. You're valuable. But remember, we're here for a team. The team has to win. Well, another thing, another strategy that I've used and it's worked successfully with, with many, many people and that is to give them tasks um, and tasks that maybe they maybe haven't even done before stuff, you know, responsibilities. Um, it could be in marketing. It could be involving them in marketing. It could be involving them in something else. It's brand new, uh, just to get get them off that bad track. But anyway, we're talking about minority issues here. Yeah, but it's one percent. Yeah, it's one percent. No big deal. Um, but anyway, I think they, they, you know, I've been very blessed in my life to have had so many high performers. Uh, now again, that A team and B team philosophy. Yeah, I mean. We've again. I was very. I mean, I'm so grateful for for the for the performers like Mike. Hey, Mike, and Gr, and many others that uh, that carried the ball and scored the touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, month after month after month after month consistently, um, and created the standards that the rest of the store had to had to you know had to follow. Yeah. Um, you know, with a with a if you have a parts department with a 98.8 percent fill rate. Which you had, Jr. in your in your day at the Honda store, which is which is really high. That's high, really, really high. Um, in other words, that you could fix any car really quickly. Yeah, it didn't have to come to. off the lift. Right. It's just bang. Yep, and that's today. So, you know, today that store is still the number one most profitable Honda store in the world. Really, as of this, as of last year, twenty twenty. <laughs> Um, that that fill, creating that fill rate created a lot of shop success. So. Yeah. Um, you put you put all that together again, and having that having that level of you know finding out if you're not number one, who is? Is it who is number one in your in your market, your region, your zone, in the country, in the world? You know who are you measuring yourself up against? Yeah, you gotta so, have somebody to chase yeah. down. So that's one thing. And then I used to my GM that I worked with was always wanting to be number one at everything, which and me too. Yeah, but you had to measure that against yourself or are you growing are you plateauing are you falling 
and and track that data. That yeah. data is so important to track it every single day. What's every the trend? Every single month. Yeah. Every single, you know, all the way through, are you tracking? How are yeah. you tracking? You against yourself and then yourself against the rest. Yep. It's funny because, and I'm going to say this because you taught me this, David, and it still resonates in me. It's so simple because when I got into management with David, he says, I'm going to teach you one thing that that's going to tell you and solve a lot of your problems. Gross solves a lot of your problems. <laughs> More gross. You bet. And I'd be like, how does that work? And I go, simple. When you're when you've got a lot of gross, that means your technicians are getting paid. That means that they're busy. We got the parts department selling parts. We got service advisors helping customers. We got, it's just, everything flows. Well, everybody's so busy working, they don't have time for tomfoolery or, or, right. or right. personality right. conflicts or, you know, harassment, like all that stuff goes away because we're all, That's we're all right. doing the job, you know? Yeah. And so it was crazy. You, you, you instilled that from day one is gross. Just keep, just gross. will solve our Chase problems. Chase the gross. That's it. That's simple. Well, um. So we've been, it's been an hour, we're an hour and five minutes right now. Um, Man, this is good stuff though. It is good. I, 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 what did you think? I'd like to keep going if, if. I'm I, good, I'm good. We can keep going, yeah. So, I mean, he was mentioned, the, so, Dave was mentioned the mission too, so I don't want to miss oh, that. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the mission. Okay. I want to yeah, hear more about the mission. mission. What is this mission? I love this thing. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm, I'm front and center. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of Hard Shop Life. We, um, this was an amazing interview and it was such an honor to meet somebody who has, you know, the type of uh, experience in this industry that, that, uh, Dave Patterson does. And, uh, it was really just a pleasure and it was in, it just, we, we just kept going and we could have probably gone on for three hours. Um, and so we decided to cut that up into two parts. So you just got through with part one and then, uh, next week we'll be releasing, uh, part two. And we'll wrap this segment. I promise you that it's worth it. And there's just so many, so much great information still to come out. So stay tuned for part two. And don't forget to subscribe. Hit that subscribe button in the podcast. That way, when part two comes out, you get notified and you don't miss anything. Because I promise you, this is an interview you're not going to want to miss. We'll see you next time on Hard Shop Life. Mm-hmm.